You're listening to Some Pulp on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to Episode 5. I'm your host, Bruce Edwards, and I'm joined by Michael Edwards. Hello. In this episode, we're going to examine the genesis of TV talk shows, especially in the 1950s and early 1960s, and how they've evolved into the multiplicity of talk shows of various sorts that are on virtually around the clock on cable and satellite TV. Yeah, I'm interested uh, just as someone who really like Johnny Carson for my childhood was kind of like, oh, that's that old guy. I don't really know what he does. And so that's like as as far back as my knowledge goes. And then it's straight into Letterman, Conan, Leno, and and, uh, eventually even these Comedy Central ones. But I'm interested to hear kind of where all these came from. Well, they all have their roots in radio. And then uh, in the early 50s when uh, television is making its uh, way across the country and uh, be able to talk about the, the sort of tropes and, and special features of today's uh, basically comedians uh, who are doing these talk shows who, uh, who are really borrowing from, uh, from different media. So, so you're saying it comes from radio, so... Yeah, because uh, all of the, the early personalities, the, uh, the performers, uh, are radio announcers. And uh, the, the fellow you see in the... Uh, uh, sort of mock radio shows today where the guy's holding his hand over his ear and uh, indicating he's doing uh, the sound check and so forth. That's that's really kind of a a put upon, a play act uh, more than anything else that added to sound quality or or, uh, uh, the the shtick of being a radio announcer. But uh, uh, just just like uh, I remember in in the 60s, the, the radio personalities who were DJs and program directors, uh, when they were on air, they were the the, uh, the engine to uh, to get people to listen, to get people to participate in uh, contests. You know, caller number nine will will receive this a trip to Havana, Cuba. That sort of <laughs> stuff. Um, that's uh, that all starts in radio, and uh, you know, radio almost immediately becomes a, a very inventive pliable medium, although initially it's for uh, broadcasts from the White House and uh, updates from from the war, uh, and, uh, you know, it becomes very elastic. And uh, But initially, the broadcasts kind of only either go out into the air if you've got some sort of uh, register, uh, some, some sort of device that captures what's on the airwaves. Or, and they only go one way. They go from east to west. And there really isn't a, a, a means of, of going from west to east. And so basically all the broadcasting and all the innovation starts in the east coast, and particularly it starts in uh, New York. And so there's this great concentration of uh, radio talent, so to speak, uh, in New York City. And having these radio routes, when... The talk show leaps onto TV. Is it a totally recognizable genre to people? Does it um, immediately seem like a natural extension? Or well, you see uh, the phenomenon of so-called talking heads, not the uh, not the, the David rock, Byrne, the, band. not the David Byrne. Although he he does take on some of those those qualities uh, in performance. Um, you know, television has a camera and it's got uh, a desk. And that uh, camera zeroes in. It's, it's kind of a one-camera operation initially. In the, uh, I think I think generally uh, 1948 is credited with with the, the first TV programming that's not just uh, somebody giving the news and the weather. Uh, and uh, you you sort of get the sense that people don't know what to do with it. Uh, on radio, it's it's pretty well developed. It's been in place for for 30 years. And there are uh, all sorts of programs and genres and, you know, drama and music and uh, even the venerable baseball broadcast, which maybe we'll look at in a couple of weeks. Uh, the uh, radio is seen as an analog to, not analog in the sense of analog versus digital, but as a, 
uh, a co-player with uh, the the movie industry. And uh, there are broadcasts almost verbatim from movie scripts uh, shown, uh, portrayed on the radio with the original cast. And so uh, you get to keep up with the stars on the basis of the radio broadcast that you're listening to. And there's interviews, uh, variety shows, uh, not, not exactly what we would call stand up because that's vaudeville. That's, uh, that's the, uh, the, the kind of humor and slapstick and, and even had this oddity of Charlie McCarthy, the, uh, the, uh, the dummy that's given a voice and it's on radio. I mean, you can't see him yeah. being a ventriloquist, but he was a big radio star. And, you know, Candace, uh, Bergen, her, her father is Charlie Bergen and, and, uh, that's a, a tremendous act. It's, it's a very popular act. And on radio, uh, everybody wants to hear that character, even though he's just another voice in the room. Yeah, and uh, but uh, he does make the transition to movies and even uh, television, uh, and he does uh, kind of mimic the ventriloquism of that act. But uh, it's 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 nothing like today's uh, uh, professional ventriloquists. I guess there are still professional ventriloquists, aren't there? I don't think and I've there are people seen who, one. <laughs> who watch them. Uh, you know, there's always a Miss America candidate who does a ventriloquism <laughs> act. So, well, there you go. Um, so, who kind of are the at the forefront of turning TV talk shows into something that's a little more mature and figured out, and you know, kind of figured out the dynamic of of how you do it with a camera? Um, when do we start seeing that kind of come into its own? Well, I I, I think you have to uh, credit uh, Steve Allen, uh, who is was a tremendous multi talented uh, comedian composer. Uh, uh, he is, uh, sort of omnipresent in, uh, in the 1950s. Uh, everybody wants him. He's, he's considered, uh, uh, you know, a, a reliable ratings getter. Although, uh, he bounces around a lot, uh, among the networks and, uh, he, uh, he starts off with CBS and then goes to NBC, uh, and he becomes the, uh, the, the the real father of the Tonight Show, and uh, even coins that that phrase because NBC always um, uh, names its programs by the time of day. So you have the Today Show. Uh, uh, they they had some uh, other programming midday. I I, uh, I I don't know what they called those because they weren't very popular and there there weren't many audiences available because people work during the day. They're not watching television. There are not people at home to watch television. Uh, and uh, so that's basically at the edges of the day and the night. And uh, so he calls it the Tonight Show. You know, later on, the, you know, the shows that come after the Tonight Show are called things like Late Night. Uh, and then Bob Costas had a program in the 80s called Later. And... Uh, you know, all, all the uh, other networks who were trying to compete with NBC at the time, they, they came up with their own titles like uh, The Late Late Show. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, and now you have The Nightly Show. <laughs> right. Yeah, The Nightly Show. And uh, that's, you know, the, uh, the progression is either a, an imitation of or a parody of what, what's come before. And uh, you know, even even uh, radio isn't twenty four hours a day uh, when it when it first begins. And there's there's a sense in which you've got to have local programming. You've got to have people who are willing to stay up and do radio, let alone develop an audience. That's for, why you uh, got college kids at midnight that finally get to spin their own tunes on campuses. <laughs> right, right. That's the evolution. But at the at the time, people said, "Well, you know." There doesn't need to be anything on radio after eleven o'clock. Who's who's going to listen? And of course, the answer was a lot of people because <laughs> uh, uh, both uh, late night and early morning radio are are for workers, workers who either have a radio somewhere in the plant and in, in in the industry they're in, and it keeps them awake and keeps them moving. And and you know, radio is something you can 
listen to while you're doing other things. Unlike television that comes along where it demands you watch it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, even though a lot of television is on in people's homes and they really are just listening, uh, there's, there's no sort of added value by having that black and white screen, which is only about five inches large at, yeah. at the beginning. Uh, and it, it's, you still people huddled around what looks like a radio console, only it's this five inch picture, which is, you know, again, what we start out with, with, uh, iPhones in the beginning. They're very small screens and then suddenly they get larger and larger and then you can't even hold them anymore. <laughs> well, um, maybe this is, this will be fodder for a different episode focused more on radio, but uh, what you just said just made me start thinking about podcasting as, you know, a, a nice little analog to digital comparison of um, you were saying who's going to listen at 11 and um, just how shows really had to find a a kind of broad mainstream kind of focus and you couldn't be you know super niche and maybe it worked for college radio because only college kids are up at 2 a.m. but you know when you get into this modern era with podcasts it's like not only does it not matter when you listen because it's all time shifted but it's also splintered into every single topic imaginable. And <laughs> yeah, you know, um, This American Life and Serial are going to capture the, the mainstream imagination, but um, you can, it's sort of like you can find an audience for anything now. Anyway, a yeah, little how, side. How, how, many, how many episodes, how many different podcasts of Better Call Saul do you know, right? <laughs> it's, I saw that. Uh, yeah, the, the ladies of Likely Story are pondering, shifting their topic to Better Call Saul just to capitalize yeah. <laughs> on the parent audience yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, better, better Call Likely Story. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, what I found in, in, in kind of getting some background for myself, because I wasn't born in the time of radio. I was born in the 50s. And uh, it, it takes a Herculean effort to get a radio broadcast across the country. It, it's telephony. It is basically a long-distance phone call. And, uh, you know, not exactly uh, uh, an inexpensive thing to do. Somebody, a broadcaster, is, uh, is paying for the technology and uh, that's why there are, you know, radio networks. You're transferring the, the the data across state lines, and so it's good to own the equipment that you're going to have to have to use. And so the big companies of the time are uh, NBC, Mutual Broadcasting Network, CBS. You know, ABC comes along a little bit later. In fact, ABC used to be called uh, the NBC Blue Network. It was it, it was by colors. Huh. You sort of divided up the the, uh, is that related to the peacock logo? I think so, and you know, it becomes even more important as the symbol of color television. Um, but in in you know there there are lots of personalities uh, involved in radio, and and some of them rise to become national figures. And so, in, in some ways, it's uncanny. Uh, I mean, you can have a local newsman or uh, weather caster. Uh, who becomes uh, well known for you know having a sense of humor? Has you know does ad libs? He's 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 a, a real uh, uh, card or you know not a lot of women involved in broadcasting in in the thirties and forties except as spokespersons for products. And so even in those days, uh, there are certain certain products: refrigerators, hair color products, uh, you know, foods. Uh, Bisquick, uh, you want a woman's voice, a woman's voice on that, but almost everything else is done by, uh, by uh, men, uh, who are selling cars, selling cigarettes, selling, uh, the, uh, Coca Cola, and a big broadcaster out of Atlanta and sponsor of broadcasting is, is Coca Cola because that's where their, their headquarters is. Um, at any rate, that the talk show, Talk radio itself is really you know, part of what radio is, and then it suddenly shifts. It makes a transition to television, where uh, you're you're attempting to narrate the day. 
uh, humorously, if possible, uh, because you've heard the hard news sometime earlier in the day, but now you're looking for some diversion. And uh, Steve Allen provided that diversion. And uh, basically what we consider the, the, the talk show uh, format uh, is is really invented by by him, and everybody else is doing a variation or a parody of it. You know, you think of Conan when he first was on Late Night after he replaced uh, David Letterman, who moved on to CBS, when he didn't get the Jay Leno job. Uh, you know, Conan is an unknown quantity, and basically he's an anti-talk show host. He he's he's undermining all the conventions, but the conventions had to exist to undermine him. And they they came from Steve Allen, and even Steve's broadcasts were were pretty chaotic on on purpose. So you you have from Steve Allen the uh, the monologue, the 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 the, the uh, crazy sometimes uh, uh, weird man on the street, where you are uh, you know, just focusing a camera literally on the streets and you are asking strangers questions. And uh, if they're not themselves funny because they don't realize they're on television, whatever that is at this point in history, um, Steve is making witty comments about how people are dressed. Uh, and there are uh, some excerpts in the show notes uh, that are available for you to, to sample that and, and see how innovative and, and uh, quirky a comedian he was because he's he's able to make something funny out of just about anything and and show him uh, a live scene or a photograph and he will have some witticism about it that uh you know it, it keeps you uh uh laughing and and the thing about Steve Allen is he's doing almost a 2 hour live show every night which uh you know now again today you know people have guests you know, uh, yeah, that's a scheduled it and segment, but this is just a continuous thing. And in the very first broadcast, and, and we've got it in the show notes, he basically says, "This is a long show. You're going to get really tired because we just keep going." And uh, you know, I, I I was not there for that original broadcast because I, I had two more years before I arrived, and I didn't start watching. Uh, uh, black and white uh, TV talk show hosts until I was about six, and I would stay up with my mom, who was was kind of an insomniac in some ways, but uh, you know, he enjoyed the company. I enjoyed, um, and and not that I was that much of a sophisticate, but I, I I enjoyed the the phenomenon of watching other people talk and joke around. And uh, and Steve Allen was was that guy, and I kind of learned what I thought was funny or what should be funny from from him, and uh, and I think there's there's hundreds of thousands of viewers and would be and potential comedians who 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 registered the same thing. This this guy is what humor is, and it's silliness. It's not vulgar. It's not uh, it's extremity. You know, humor is extremity. Uh, and it's, but it's not uh, derogatory. I mean, it can be self-deprecating. But but Steve Allen was the epitome of the classy comic who didn't need to, you know, uh, swear or you know generate that kind of humor. Put someone down when they're down. Um, I'm interested also in kind of talking a bit about the where we get these tropes um, that you've listed here in our notes here. The you know, there's always a desk. There's always a coffee mug. Um, there, there's always an announcer or a sidekick. Um, they're they're often talking about their studio and how they made it and what its features are whatsoever. Um, or you know, it's a big deal when they they record an episode from New York instead of L.A. or vice versa. Um, and just some of these tropes that are, are kind of like so common that I mean, yeah, they are all parodied now. The, the, is Steve Allen kind of also part of setting those into place or discovering them as mainstays? Or Well, I was thinking about the desk. Let's just think about the desk real quick. Um, in some ways, it's just a very practical item at the beginning, like a, a, a radio studio has a microphone somewhere. It could be suspended from the ceiling. It could be on a, at the end of a long you know, metal rod of some sort, but... You know, basically, that's the initial prop 
for for the the TV talk show. It's it's a place. It, it literally is a microphone. It's not a you know just a, a visual prop. And uh, and so there's the desk and the microphone, and you've got the 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 disc jockey newsman type guy. Only he's a comedian uh, behind that microphone. Uh, but where, where else are desks? They're in courtrooms. Uh, they're in in uh, elementary schools, uh, and uh, and so the, the desk is sort of a place of authority. It's a place of uh, the, the person in control. Well, and like uh, journalists and news, I, was, I mean, you you got to have a news desk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, you, and uh, as a result, uh, that becomes the the. The, the typical kind of of uh, uh, of studio because you have you do have a live audience as well it's not just you and the radio studio making jokes or or witty remarks or doing a, a funny interview uh, there are people reacting from inside the even in the in the 50s tv shows do have live audiences um, and of, of course uh there, there's no like three second, five second, ten second delay. It's live, and so if you get naughty or or a guest comes on and they don't quite uh, uh, filter what they're thinking and they say things out loud, that that becomes kind of an interesting a phenomenon too. Yeah, a little unpredictable. And as a result, uh, you have to have somebody who is very clever, quick on his feet, uh, and and that was Steve Allen, and and it's. You know, as every, everybody who's uh, watched improvisational TV knows, some people are good at it and some people aren't. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Steve Allen was 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 great at it, and so he raises the bar. But uh, so you've got the microphone, you've got um, in some sense, Steve Allen had a, an announcer and a series of sidekicks. Uh, and and that's why you see like David Letterman today kind of has the Steve Allen. Uh, sidekick role div- diversified. He does have an announcer. He's sometimes on camera, but the the main sidekick is Paul Schaefer, who who interacts with with Dave and so forth. Uh, but occasionally he would have uh, different characters, recurring characters. Uh, the uh, and Jimmy Fallon has re- recurring characters, but his main sidekick, although he has Higgins. He's an announcer. He's got the roots and has all sorts of interaction with them. That that is really all Steve Allen esque, uh, in my view, because Johnny Carson has a much more rigid structure. He has Ed McMahon, the life, the uh, laugh machine, uh, who who signals to everybody when Johnny has just been really funny, and so he he has that you know just lampshade. Maybe it, it was <laughs> yeah. May, maybe it was genuine. Maybe it was not. But and then. And then Johnny always had the attitude that the show was in his guests. Uh, and so if he wanted to do a shtick or a skit of some kind, it was always separate. Uh, and uh, so he'd do Karnak, you know, the, the, the fake uh, mentalist and so forth. Uh, that was always a different segment. It was either before the rest of the guests came out or it comes out in what used to be in a 90-minute show, the, the third half hour and then he cuts the show back to 30 minutes you know, later in his career. That's when talk shows but, followed hockey in having three periods. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Not as popular anymore. <laughs> so you have the sidekick. Steve had a regular cast who became celebrities. And I say celebrities primarily because it's along the lines of being well-known, not necessarily popular and capable of carrying their own show on their own they they don't eventually branch out and there's not the louis nye show or the don Knotts show but there is the andy griffith show where don Knotts plays barney fife the the nervous sheriff and it's that nervous character that uh that uh, don Knotts creates on the steve allen show that goes on for years i mean that that is the don Knotts staple character well you know that's part of steve's talent development uh he is able to assemble a cast, and, and over the years, even after Steve didn't have a regular show, he was a, a talent promoter and, and a discoverer of both musical uh, and comic talent. And uh, 
uh, he he really is the, the the Renaissance person of fifties television, uh, who goes on to have a very diverse career. Uh, and I would just I just want to say one thing: um, talk shows don't travel well, uh, and it's because they become dated very quickly. But I think Steve Allen's show is not dated. Uh, I mean, there are cultural references and historical references sprinkled throughout them. But in the existing shows, um, you find that Steve Allen is funny whatever era he's being sampled in. And uh, toward the end of his, his, his life, uh, he, he did a show called Meeting of Minds, which was very popular uh, in syndication. And basically each week, Steve and a cast of characters, including his wife, Jane Meadows, who was a very important part of Steve's um, persona and, and his uh, uh, talk show host uh, uh, personality, because she would appear sometimes with him. They they play different characters, historical characters. And so I remember an episode just a half hour long where each of these people were playing John Calvin or uh, uh, the uh, uh, Kingis Khan or Jesus, and and they would stay in character. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a joke fest. It was serious historical interaction, and. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was a terrific extension. I mean, it's sort of like the, the talk show uh, uh, anachronistic, and uh, you bring all these people together. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, you, you can't say enough about, about Steve Allen as, as an uh, uh, inventor, an entrepreneur, and, and somebody who, because he was so talented, and he would uh, do jazz riffs, uh, you know, sometimes now uh, Jimmy Fallon will cut to the roots and they'll do some funny thing with music. Uh, Steve would just go to the piano and do that spontaneously. And uh, so he'd always have a, a, a piano uh, available. And so it was chaotic, but it was controlled chaos because Steve knew what he wanted to do. And uh, and I should say that, you know, there are some talk shows, uh, particularly in the 50s, and I would mention Jack Parr uh, as a as the, the subsequent host who took over after uh, Steve moved on to some other pri- uh, prime time uh, kinds of shows, uh, Steve Steve was uh, pitted by NBC against Ed Sullivan uh, in on Sunday night prime time, uh, and people thought, well, this is going to fail. But but Steve actually held his own, and and the way he did it, I'll just throw this out. Uh, because I remember it very vividly, is he brought in rock and roll stars at the end of the 50s. And eventually, guess what? Ed Sullivan did too. But Ed Sullivan had to do that because Steve Allen was bringing in a different sort of audience. Uh, At any rate, uh, I I think that uh, your curiosity would be repaid by by looking into uh, Steve Allen, his career, and and how he's influenced... uh, You'd, you'd uh, ask about other tropes. Maybe we can get to those later. Yeah. Well, I'm interested in now that we kind of have a, a broad context for how the talk show emerges out of, in response to, or in addition to radio. Um, just to to go personal, what what is a a child in the the late fifties, early sixties in Akron, Ohio? Um, what draws you to watch talk shows, or or what? You know, what's in it for you at that point in your life? Yeah. Well, I was a night owl anyway from uh, as far as I can remember. Uh, and, uh, you know, I like to do – I was an only child, so I like to do what adults did. Now, my dad was a truck driver who got, got up very early, so he rarely stayed up late. And so I was really up to be with my mom. And uh, uh, so there's the attraction of, of being up late. You know, it's, it's verboten. I mean – Kids are supposed to get their sleep, and uh, you know I I never slept more than five or six hours a night, and so that meant I could, if I could stay awake, I could watch Steve Allen until one o'clock at night, and and then they would play the Star Spangled Banner. That was the signal that television programming was over. <laughs> That's all, uh, folks. And and even even radio uh, stations did that, uh, but uh, it, it was that attraction being with your parents and. To me, as I reflect on it, it was watching your mom, sometimes your dad, 
react to jokes, uh, interviews, and you kind of learn how to be a surrogate adult by watching other people watch. And uh, and I remember thinking, that sounds like a, a double, I mean, I didn't think that was a double entendre, but I... I didn't have that vocabulary <laughs> yet, but 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 I thought that probably means two things, and I'm not picking out what that second thing is yeah. that my mom is laughing about. So so that was valuable. Um, you know, it's sort of discovering the mysteries of adulthood to a certain extent. I mean, it's an artificial situation. It's it's a TV show. And people are gathered around their TVs in different parts of the city watching other people watch or <laughs> watching other people talk. And, you know, and I was thinking, where did people gather to talk or listen to people talk? Uh, at the turn of the century, neighbors, community events, uh, you know, but what, what, what after time becomes more of an urban environment and you kind of stay within your own household, um, and and you're not gathering people to have you know a, a party or talk about the issues of the day. You're watching other people talk. the The whole idea of the news, and you know, uh, and at broadcast news, is you're shifting a little bit away from newspapers, where you're kind of making up your own mind. You're kind of thinking, well, I wonder if that's a reliable account, because you kind of implicitly trusted what you were hearing and eventually seeing. Um, and, and so it's an enjoyable experience. It's, it's you know, for me, a, a very taboo experience. You're up late, everybody else is in bed, and you're with your mom and your dad, and you're experiencing something together, and... Uh, it, it it creates uh, you know a new forum for uh, thinking. I you know I people are are used to saying you know television dumbs down education or you know the internet it dumbs down. You know I, I'm sure it does somebody, but to me it was like a you know electric environment uh, in a world and, and these are people from New York. Or people from Los Angeles and, you know, against the, the Route 66 effect. I know what other people are thinking and how they dress and what they're, they're listening to in terms of what are the topics? What are the possible topics? Yeah. Uh, and, and what kind of music? And, and to me, it was, it was just magical. I mean, I couldn't wait to, for it to get dark in some days, you know. Yeah. And I mean, with hindsight, it's, it's hard not to see how obvious it is that this would be interesting to humans to, to sound like an alien for a second that, uh, um, you know, we, we are creatures that pay attention to each other. We're always watching each other. We're looking for similarities and differences and TV just had, was a wild new way to do that on a level that, you know, the radio could provide in, in certain ways, but you know, now like you're saying, Oh, someone from New York, someone from Paris or, you know, or, you know, there's that author. I never thought I'd ever see what that author looked like. And there he is. And he's talking about his book or, you know, just that, that being kind of magical. I could definitely see that. Well, and, and, you know, to keep in mind that, uh, you know, this is not just New York uh, or Paris. It's that uh, these are people you may have seen in another context, seen them in a movie and, and part of the fascination, too, is what do they talk like really when they're not acting or when they're not strumming a guitar? You know, for instance, it's a revelation when Elvis talks. I mean, you've seen him singing. You've seen him, as you say, shaking Thanks his very hips. Much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, can he con- sustain a conversation? And, uh, and, and not just because he's been given movie lines. And the answer is it depends upon the skill of the host. And Steve Allen is a good host. And he's able to draw people out, for one. And, you know, and so was Johnny Carson and, and so forth. I remember the first time the Beatles, and particularly John Lennon and Paul McCartney, appeared on the Johnny Carson show. I thought, wow, Johnny Carson really rates then. I mean, because he had the Beatles on, not just <laughs> yeah. to perform, but they actually talked and they joked around and they... You know they were they were found to be witty in their own right. They weren't just you know as my dad thought seeing these long haired guys, he'd say oh the Beatles I like their songs but you know they're they're uh, 
you know, some kind of, of street creature. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't want <laughs> But here they are telling jokes and reflecting on you know, what it's like to be a rock star. And, and that's, a revela- that's a revelation. A nice parallel to that you're making me think of when McCartney was on SNL in the 90s on the Chris Farley show. And so clearly this was about when you don't have a Steve Allen or a Johnny Carson who can draw right. a ghost out. And, and so you, you watch Chris Farley fail miserably and the guest kind of has to maintain the, the rapport. Yeah. Yeah, the, and that's where the the parody of the talk show is is easily uh, a next progression, uh, and you know uh, mocking it, and you know which is again what what uh, Conan has has done, and what you know the the fake news show, the the, the Daily Show, the John Oliver, uh, Jiminy you know, Glick, it, it, even <laughs> yeah, Jiminy Glick, yeah. And uh, you, <laughs> I, I had in my notes I was going to mention this. There there was an early version of. Uh, uh, the, this John Oliver show, the uh, HBO show, it was called "That Was the Week That Was," and uh, the uh, the host was the the British uh, humorist and, and newsman. Um, and now I've just lost his name. I'm about to call him David. Uh, and they they did the the the, the Nixon show that. Uh, uh, Ron Howard made the movie out of this oh. long-winded way of get to the point. I yeah. can't think of his last name right now. Uh, Frost? But Frost, David Frost, the Frost-Nixon Nixon show. Because he was a bona fide newsman, but the BBC pulled him out of straight news, and he became a satirist uh, on a British show called That Was Week That Was. And then NBC brought him over to America, flew him in on on the weekend – to, to tape a show uh, for Tuesday nights. That was the week it was, and they had music and, and uh, all, all those sorts of things that you take for granted from uh, uh, The Daily Show, The Nightly Show, uh, and or, the or original. John Oliver's Last Week Tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that I think that the, the title of his show is a reference to that uh, 1963 show. And uh, you know, as a sidebar, you know, America did not know what to do with that. It was hilarious. They couldn't get sponsors for it uh, because it was very controversial. It, because it was it was unheard of mockery of major figures, political and otherwise, um, and it didn't last very long. But I ate it up. I mean, I, <laughs> I watched it. You know, Tuesday night, nine thirty. Uh, and you know has the half hour slot, and uh, you can get away with on cable. But you know you didn't have a half hour show tucked at nine thirty at night, because you know how how do you? That means you have another half hour show, not a situation coming. You have to have some other kind of variety show. Anyway, that that brought back memories because uh, that you know that's all a result uh, of the kind of humor that's developed in the fifties. Uh, and then comes into the 60s as getting more and more uh, radical. And, uh, and, and so uh, people like Woody Allen start appearing. And, and Woody Allen was first a guest on the Steve Allen show. Hmm. And uh, the, the whole new set of comedians, and eventually we'll transition here to what was my favorite talk show host of the 60s, which was not Johnny Carson, it was Dick Cavett. And, uh, you know, that's not a name a lot of people, you know, recognize. But, uh, yeah, you know, one of the great things I got to do growing up is my family would occasionally uh, in the summer travel to New York City. And we got to see some of these uh, staple shows of the time, not only some of the game shows like uh, Jeopardy and and, uh, Price is Right, but we got to see the Dick Cavett show, which was a morning show called This Morning on ABC, and uh, he was a tremendous host, not like Steve Allen in that he wasn't as wild and wacky and going for the juggler in terms of physical humor and and um, audience uh, play uh, with uh, people there and people outside the studio, but he was a witty interviewer, and uh, he did shows with just one guest when it was not done. Uh, Groucho, Groucho Marx, for instance, he did a, a fabulous interview with, with Groucho Marx, but he had hippies, yippies. He had the Woodstock people. He had Jimi Hendrix. He had, you know, and this is daytime TV. 
there can have been a lot of housewives, who, to, to use that term relevant to the time, who were waiting to hear Jimi Hendrix talk about his music. But the episode that we still have preserved, and you, you can watch on YouTube, Jimi Hendrix, this wild-haired, flamboyant guitarist, is a very articulate, very studious uh, historian of music and knows exactly where he is situated in musical history. And again, nobody is going to do that except Dick Cavett. Johnny Carson's not going to have Jimi Hendrix on. He's a niche artist, right? He's 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 somebody who uh, uh, you know appeals to a, what what is considered to be a, a wild psychedelic audience. But in person on this talk show. He sounds like a music professor. He reminds me a lot of uh, of the uh, of, of Roots, uh, the, uh, the the group with uh, with Jimmy Fallon, and you know any one of those members of the Roots band can talk about their art, and uh, you know I, I think I think he is a tremendous uh, uh, witness to the changing times and the changing tastes of network TV at a certain juncture. And, uh, and you know, Dick, Dick Cavett is still around. He's, he's, uh, he's uh, in his, uh, you know, late 70s, does a, does a column for the New York Times every once in a while, still lives in New York, and he had a long career. But he started as a witty stand-up comic and, uh, you know, has, has roots in... Uh, in, in this talk show history we're talking about. So maybe we can shift a little bit to talking more specifically about the, the, the influence of these early talk shows on modern day talk shows. If there's any certain shows or tropes you'd want to call out, um, or, you know, do you have a favorite talk show now, or is it kind of a tired genre to you, or is it, is it enduring well? Are we, um, that's a lot of questions at once, but <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's it's uh, only been recent uh, that every single major network broadcast network has had an eleven thirty or ten thirty show, each competing against each other, uh, and of course, add cable and satellite, and uh, you know there there are lots of things uh, between eleven and one o'clock. Uh, at night that can fill that that slot and and you know so the ratings have diminished over the years they may be proportionate uh, uh, to to what they used to be if you factor in the the variety of uh, of programming that's that's available but so so you have the what I call like the the triple a you know using you know major league as the the top shelf if you have the triple a uh, shows that are niche shows um and you know, in some ways, unfortunately, you know, Conan has become uh, one of these Triple A teams. Not because he's not as good as he ever was, but because he doesn't have the audience he used to have. He's on TBS, and uh, I don't remember unless being prompted by a commercial where I wanted to see who was going to be on a certain night. I rarely would watch him, and in some ways, he has exhausted his own brand. Uh, and it's partly because of the the, the uh, debacle that happened with his transition to become Tonight Show host and the uh, uh, fallout from people who didn't necessarily dislike Jay Leno, but now did because they thought he had usurped a role. He gave he him had, a reason. You know, <laughs> yeah, he gave him a reason. That's right. <laughs> I didn't realize I didn't like you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just noticed that uh, David Letterman plans to invite Jay on one of his final shows. Huh. Uh, and so we'll see how that goes. Now, see, I will I will tune into that. But normally, uh, if, if sometime during a day I, I see a promo for somebody I'd like to hear again, or, uh, you know, more likely it's a musical artist I want to hear, and, and I know exactly when to watch. It's always the last five minutes of the show, so I don't have to watch the whole thing. I may yeah. tape the whole thing, but you know, I'm you know, I'm tired of Justin Timberlake. I don't I don't ever need to see him again <laughs> on Jimmy Fallon. Uh, and and Jimmy's show is is happy, and it's 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 uh, effervescent. And and I you know, if I get into a mood where I just want to see some guy be silly, 
that's a little Steve Allen-ish for me, and that's that's good. That's a good thing. And uh, but Jimmy uh, Kimmel is is not really very entertaining. Um, you know, he has his moments, but you know, he has his the, the stick he's got is you know, apologizing at the end of the show that he couldn't have time for Matt Damon. You know, that's a recurring thing. Yeah. And that, that that's clever, and, and I get it, but, you know. Um, and now in the last few days of, uh, of David Letterman, I actually am paying a little more attention to uh, the shows. You know, I tape them, I watch them, because uh, he tends to get very nostalgic uh, with individual guests, you know, Tom Hanks for one most recently. And uh, it seemed to be him uh, shifting out of character enough for me to to want to pay attention. And, that, and that's the thing about talk shows is they've got to grab your attention. They can't just be background noise. They can't for me anyway. Uh, you know, in, in my childhood, I was fascinated by everything. And even from the standpoint of production and, you know, when the camera moved out in the audience – uh, and Johnny Carson was going to go up up the stairs and meet his audience. That was like, wow, he's stepping out of character. Of course, that's the oldest trope there is yeah. now, <laughs> where you go up into the audience. And there's only you know fake, and you know it's always a plant. It's 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 uh, unless they're giving prizes away, you know. And Fallon has that that buckethead guy. And, yep, the buckethead um, guy. Actually, what keeps me on Fallon is Higgins, his his sidekick and. Higgins, which we noted before we started taping, looks a lot like Steve Allen, actually. Yes. Um, but my favorite bit is Higgins will say a terrible joke that lands flat for some reason. And he just says, all right, it's been real. It's, it's good. I'm out. And then he basically pretends to retire right there on the spot and leaves. And they play him off with some music. And then he comes back. <laughs> like a minute later, and he's like, "Yeah, it's really scary out there. Never mind, <laughs> I'm not retiring." <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? That that is a, a reference to a, something that Jack Parr did on the air one night when his uh, monologue was censored by the NBC censor. And and when I tell you what what was censored, you'll think what <laughs> he used the British phrase for bathroom or toilet called the WC. Which is called, you know, the water closet. Yeah, and that could not be said on network TV <laughs> after after eleven o'clock, even in in the in the late fifties. Just like the words we've discussed before, you know, you couldn't use the word pregnant on the I Love Lucy show. Uh, you couldn't talk about uh, issues, anything anywhere near uh, sex, and and certainly nowhere close to uh, any kind of gender identity issues. You could not talk about them. Uh, when we move into the 60s, that becomes more and more liberalized. And, and Dick Cavett, for one, uh, is somebody who, who's able to talk about uh, gay and lesbian issues and that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, you know, always got a, a thousand letters written in whenever it came up. But uh, because to talk about something was to endorse it, which is kind of a weird yeah. attitude to have. Uh, you talk about earthquakes, but it doesn't mean you endorse them. <laughs> You've legitimized earthquakes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's probably one of the worst analogies I've ever used, but you, know, you get the point. So you asked me, really, is there anything I, I, I really have to watch? I just you know feel incomplete if I go through a week. And um, not not really, because that in, information and that... Uh, kind of uh, involvement with uh, adult talk has been dissipated. It's been diffused throughout uh, the, uh, the, the the broadcast day, so to speak. And of course, one of the biggest phenomenon, uh, biggest phenomena of, of our era is ESPN and the you know talk show. And then Here's a radio talk show broadcast, so you can watch the radio show, and it's kind of a weird thing. It's 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 uh, you would think counterintuitive, um, but then you also have the the, the 21st century uh, viewer who wants to watch the NFL draft and watches it for hours upon hours, and you're just waiting for what to hear a name called. And, but you sit in suspense, and and I, I found myself last year thinking, 
you know, I really, I kind of want to know what who, what the Browns are going to do and who they're going to draft. But I found myself sitting for five hours eating potato chips and you know, just watching these <laughs> names. And, I mean, it's, five it's hours like of watching, potato chips. It's it's like watching a televised spelling bee, which you also can do on ESPN. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, cheap seats mocked mercilessly the yeah, Squire sure, brothers. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, what's what's next for the talk show, and I want to call out a couple things. Um, for one, this isn't really a talk show, but something that's at least doing something new would be Chris Hardwick's At Midnight, which is a fake game show, but it's intimately <laughs> intimately tied to the internet, to Reddit, to Twitter, to hashtags, and maybe that'll make it as you know, seem as old as possible. The second Twitter isn't popular anymore. Who knows? We'll see how it ages, but that's a show experimenting with the, the inst like even more like minutely up to date, a show could be to the, you know, what is the last joke the internet all agreed on? You know, it's it's almost like what it is. And, um, you know, he's famous (laughs) at the end of the show, you win the internet for 24 hours until the next show. And, um, and you know maybe that's that'll be a flash in the pan, and in, in a few years, no one will remember what at midnight was, or maybe this will be you know one of those early examples of something new. Um, um, the other space, and this may fit in more with your your sports broadcasting kind of angle on the topic, is uh, gaming as an a spectator event. And, you know, right Mm -hmm. now, I mean, we've seen it's already, you know, in in Korea, they can pack stadiums as big as a Super Bowl to watch people click a mouse and play StarCraft. And I just think we're going to see more and more of that. And there's, there's already personalities, you know, I'm not as connected as I could be as probably 15 year olds are. Um, But you know there there are well known I, I can name day nine is the, the the one I know from Starcraft announcers, but just people that are famous for talking about video games as a live sporting event and um, I just see it you know pr- categories that previously had no presence in these mainstream tropes now have to negotiate and explore their own version of what is a skit about Starcraft players <laughs> what is a you know what happens at a dota tournament and um it's all being weirdly virtualized too because these are web first internet first um shows they, they're never going to be on nbc never say never but you know nbc will be only on the internet before these shows are on nbc and I'm just interested to see where it goes. I was playing with software last night that lets me grab different pieces of my screen for streaming it over YouTube. And so I could grab, say, I'm playing a Nintendo game, and then I can have my camera, and I can hook up any number of mics or other cameras, (laughs) and I can arrange them into, like, a a whole dashboard of what I'm... And I'm just on, like, you know, a $2,000 iMac, and you could do it on a machine a quarter of the cost if you have a good internet connection. And so I just see this exploding in terms of access, and you're going to have the same issue that podcasts or even musical artists have today of how do you rise above the you know now everyone can do this what what helps you stand out but other than having money and sponsors <laughs> yeah well it was to me that what you're describing is the uh, infinite capacity for a uh, a populace a a a segment of society to uh reach up to the multiplicity of inputs and outputs you can, you can have. And so it, it wouldn't surprise me at all to know that you could learn to do all that. You know, I see myself as compared to you, a kind of like a caveman. <laughs> I mean, there, there are certain things I can do and it's, it's, it is a digital experience for me too, but I still have an analog mind. And so in in order to, to to kind of put the pieces together, I mean, it's sort of like the first time somebody saw Steve Allen, it was antic. He, you know, he wasn't what other people were like. He wasn't standing in front of a a camera with a, a microphone and reading news or telling a joke. He he was the joke. He was you know exemplifying. Yeah. You just wanted to stick the, this guy in a room and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know it breeds other kinds of comedic. Uh, talents like Jonathan Winters, 
who was a great favorite right. of Robin Williams, right. and and they can't be controlled, so to speak. And 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 another another uh, actor comedian from the era who's still alive and he's doing Toy Story movies, Don Rickles, who was known as the insult comedian, and uh, that he is somebody that I I literally from the fifties where I grew up watching on all these shows. I liked his spontaneity. I I didn't necessarily like the the negativity of it because he, he did put down people. He would make fun of Frank Sinatra and you know the the Rat Pack <laughs> group. But what he taught me was, and it, it didn't always please some of my friends who were the victims <laughs> of my sharp biting humor. Uh, you know, I learned that there are other ways to be funny. Uh, you know, and and then there's you know people like Dimitri Martin who is also funny, but it's a slow intake of a concept. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the television experience like the, the, the now internet digital experience provides other ways to be and to, to receive. And, and to me, that's maybe it's too strong to say inherently valuable. Uh, but I think it is, it, it is a kind of media experience that a generation further down the road than mine, yours and, and others to come, will be able to, you know, if not master it, they'll, they'll be able to, to have a leash on it so they can use it for what they want to use it for. And I think it, it will, and it already has, you know, separated out certain people who are good at this. You know, I would say Sunrise Robot is good at this. <laughs> Uh, and, 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 you know, eventually, uh, as new media come along, there will be people who uh, can do it at home, uh, you know, uh, user-created uh, media. And uh, I, I think that's, that's a good thing, the yeah. diversification of things. But I, I do have a nostalgia for certain one-thing-at-a-time events uh, and that's why I still enjoy baseball. It's not like football or basketball where everything happens at once. It really does happen, and it sometimes is slow, but it happens kind of one frame at a time, one thing at a time. And I think that there, it's valuable to have hobbies and avocations and, and passions. That's why you like watching also- chess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I like the movie... Um, uh, what, what was it? Bobby Fisher was yes, the searching title. for Bobby Fisher. Searching for Bobby Fisher. I like that movie. I don't necessarily like the <laughs> scenes, but but I like even better the Upright Citizens Brigade the, parody the of that. Master dialecticians. Yes, yes. See, and so there are always people waiting in the wings to 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 find a version of it that's humorous. It 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 you know gently or 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 more harshly po- pokes fun at a particular phenomenon, uh, you know. Just as you know, the fake news show is now more popular, and people are getting their news uh, in reverse. Meaning, you you figure out what happened that day by the jokes and the and the uh, interview experience. And you know, I, there's a certain part of me that thinks that's healthy. And I think it's characteristic, uh, I'll go way on a, on a limb and say, uh, Western culture, enabled to look at itself in a mirror, uh, even, even in terms of religion, and even in terms of something like Christianity, it, it has a way of self-correcting or can which may or may not be absent in other kinds of culture who use media straightforward for reporting the truth, the ultimate truth about everything. I also think it just served like something like Colbert or you know The Daily Show or some of these wildly popular shows, at least among youth, um, is you're kind of like it's easy to, to look at the news and get depressed and just be like, the world is crazy nothing changes for the better, you know, all these like ultimate statements that aren't really true. Um, but that, you know, you go through these shows because they help you laugh about it. They help you realize you're not alone in thinking certain things are, don't make sense. Or why would, you know, why would the government think it's okay to spy on all of us? Um, you can laugh about it when Colbert tells you 
in satirical ways, of course I'm allowed to spy on you. You have no rights and, you know, embodies this ridiculous totalitarian friendly character. And it kind of helps you like get over it. And I don't know, then you can go and read the facts and, um, you have sort of the initial shock out of the way and you, you can, you know, even the way they, they satirize, like I think one of the coolest things that Colbert has ever done is his super pack satire. Because, you know, just criticizing how you can fund elections. So, you know, it, it's legal to do it in a very corrupt way, I'd say. And so he, it, the, the rules are so lenient that he formed his own super PAC and started getting funding. <laughs> and like he would have like accountants on and he'd be like, so I'm allowed to do anything I want with this money? And I don't have to tell you where it came from and I can do this and that. And the accountant's like, <laughs> yep. And he would just like, he was actually doing it for comedy purposes. And it was just, I don't know, there's something incredible about that. But again, I do yeah. think we're living in the era of parodies and echoes and shadows of, of the original. And so at some point, I think something new has to emerge or, um, something else will be culturally universal enough to be the next thing that gets parodied, parodied endlessly. But Well, here's a final thing I'll say about, about Steve Allen, because obviously I, I adored him and, and thought he was uh, the best of, of everything that uh, entertainment can be about. And, um, you know, while he is inventing the talk show, he is undermining it. And I think that's that's a skill... And that's that that kind of subterranean uh, be, becoming the anti-host while you're being the host. Uh, he called up Johnny Carson one time, uh, pretending to be a television repairman while he was on the air. While Johnny Carson was, <laughs> you know, and and it's it's absurdist comedy, and uh, you know, I, again. I wouldn't have thought of it at the time, but then that made me, as a child, uh, early teenager, want to know how to do that somewhere in in my sphere of influence. Brief technical difficulty. Um, thank you, Skype and GarageBand. Uh, you were saying about uh, Steve Allen's ability to undermine himself in a comedic way, not just right. <laughs> not just ultimately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pl- plenty of uh, performers have a have a knack for doing that. Um, well, it, it, you know, I, I couldn't have articulated what it was at that point, but I knew that there was something about using uh, not exactly self-deprecation, uh, but but some kind of short-circuiting of the normal communication channel, so that you were undermining your audience, not so much yourself, while uh, while they're experiencing what you're what you're doing as a performer. I mean, I mean, in some ways, I'm talking about what Andy Kaufman did, uh, but this was Steve Allen uh, off the off the sleeve in in in, in being very spontaneous uh, and turning his show into uh, a, a kind of audience participation that they're an unwilling part of, and uh, I can I can remember thinking of how could I do this? Maybe you know, maybe I'll call and order a bunch of pizzas for my friend. Uh, and they'll be delivered to his house, and he'll he'll wonder what happened, and then eventually he'll figure out it was me, and he won't like it. But I'll be laughing. Yeah. So, that, yeah. So that's that, that's the sort of, of of thing. It's a very meta experience. The the, the meta talk show uh, where you end up being part of the talk show unwittingly. Or you you end up being uh, a victim of the humor or or the asides of the of the host in ways that you didn't intend to be, uh, and and I think that's that's what you know John Oliver is doing. That's that's what uh, in some ways a, a show like sixty minutes is doing. Um, and and to, to me the the epitome of this in our era was was what Craig Kilborn was doing with the Daily Show. Um, you know, by contrast, you know. Uh, you know, John, uh, John's show, uh, his version of The Daily Show is, is, uh, even a more benevolent version of what Craig Kilbore was doing very cynically, very sardonically. 
uh, and he hadn't even begun to to reach the the, the depths he probably was. Yeah, capable there was of. there was a kind of viciousness to Kilborn, which you know some people may not have liked, but it did make it a more interesting show on some levels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was your it was not your nightly zen in the same sense. Well, I think that's good. Uh, talk shows through the fifties and sixties. So you can find show notes and links to this episode, everything we talked about, including some great early clips of Steve Allen's show. Um, head to sunriserobot.net slash sumpulp slash five. And uh, while you're there, you might as well subscribe to the show. So if you were just checking it out uh, through your web browser uh, from a link probably that we shared online, um, if you subscribe with your phone through your podcast app, uh, you'll get every episode automatically. Um, every two weeks, we publish a new Sumpulp and it'll just go straight to your phone and be ready to listen. You won't even have to think about it. So do that. Um, and if you have questions or comments or want to interact, uh, uh, Bruce will be on Twitter at BruceBGSU. Um, so if you have questions or comments, you can send them there. And a uh, couple more things you can do while you're here with us. Um, if you go into iTunes and find some pulp on the iTunes podcast directory, um, if you leave a rating and a review, that helps us immensely. It uh, helps our show find new audience members and uh, other people who are looking for a great show like some pulp. And if you're if you're really enjoying it, you can also head to sunriserobot.net slash support and find ways to directly support us, including a, a Patreon campaign where you can donate money that directly supports the show. So any last words? Well, I'll uh, sign off the way the uh, famous uh, broadcaster Lowell Thomas. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North and South America and all the ships at sea. Let's go to press. <laughs> <laughs>